Let me introduce the first speaker. This is Stephen Lutz. He writes for Block Your Ears Mum, I Fucking Love Science. And administer, he also administers elections for non-government organisations with above quota elections. Before starting at IFLS, he wrote 3,000 articles in 16 years for Australasian science, covering all fields of Australian and New Zealand scientific research. He is the author of Forensics, Fossils and Fruit Bats, a field guide to Australian scientists. He will happily sell you a copy should you wish. Please make him very welcome. Thank you. Now, I think like all science enthusiasts, one of the things I think about a bit is how we can get more science onto the school curriculum. And this is hard because at the moment we have a government that keeps, and its advisors, that keep talking about how what the school curriculum needs is more about Gallipoli and the Anzacs. And so I was trying to think, well, is there a way we can use this? Maybe if we could tell some science stories that sort of capture the spirit of the Anzacs, then maybe we could get it onto the science curriculum like that. And the one story I know that, well, also, well, in order to work that out, to get that to happen, one has to work out what, what are the spirit of the Anzacs, what, what is the spirit of the Anzacs. And I was thinking about that and I thought, well, bravery, got to give them that, and a sort of dedication to a larger cause and willing to self-sacrifice, and a catastrophic lack of forward planning. <laughs> and there is a science story that I know that captures all of those. It's the story of Kevin Budden. But before I tell you the story of Kevin Budden, I thought I'd tell another one which I think is almost as good, which is the story of how I heard about Kevin Budden. Because I'd been a science writer for 16 years, writing just about Australian and New Zealand science, and I'd never heard the story. And I don't know, is there anyone in the audience who has heard the story of Kevin Budden? Okay, interesting, but um, it's not a very well-known story. The way I came to hear it was from somebody that some of you probably have heard of, which is Brian Fry. Now, Brian Fry, for those who haven't heard of him, is this genius slash madman um, venom researcher who, you know, just throws himself around into dangerous situations like, you know, uh, it's, yeah, just with complete lack of uh, care for his own... Um, his own health, but also brilliant, brilliant venom researcher who has overturned our ideas of, um, of venom in all sorts of species, uh, particularly shown that, um, that most species of lizards are actually venomous, which was completely unknown until he came along, um, rewrote our thinking about sea snakes, also work on venomous octopus, uh, um, octopodes, and, um, and so on. So when I got a message from Brian Fry saying that he had the best story for me that he'd ever had, I knew it had to be pretty good. And so he sent me the story about finding at the back of the archives at the Venom Research Institute uh, this box of old venoms, which when he pulled it out, the box was not labelled. It had been sitting there for 20, 30 years. Nobody knew how it got there, as I say, completely unlabeled. But when he looked inside, there were vials of all the, the snake venoms, and they were all carefully labeled. 
Some of them went back as far as 1930. And they were, some of them were from subspecies that are now extinct. And one of them, he said, the, that made his, the hair on the back of his neck go up was venom from the snake that got Kevin Budden. Now, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but bef before I, I tell you the um, story again, I'll tell you a little bit more about this and why it's significant. Because you might think, well, that's kind of interesting that there's all these old snake venoms, but, you know, kind of big deal. But snake venom is incredibly important. One of the most widely used um, medicines in the world is a blood pressure lowering uh, medicine called, let me get the name, Captoprick, uh, I think if that's how you pronounce it, which comes from, uh, is based on snake venom. They, they use snake venom to design it. Um, there are also important uh, anti-diabetes drugs that are based on snake venom and um, lots of other things because they've been evolving for so long and got, they've got very good at doing things. One of the things they do is cause their victims' blood pressure to drop, so that can be really useful. And venom evolves twice as fast as the actual sort of biology of the snake, or the, you know, the, the, the body of the snake, uh, as a general rule. So you have this great diversity, but we're losing a lot of these snakes. Death adders are now extinct over most of their previous range because cane toads moved in, the death adders bite the cane toads and die as a result. Um, there are islands um, in Bass Strait where the, they had tiger snakes, there were different subspecies, they're gone, but we now have, from some of these, venom that we can study because of this box. So, you know, a uh, pretty interesting and impressive discovery. But what was this about the, um, the one that, uh, the, 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 from the snake that had got Kevin Budden? Well, it turned out that in 1950, there was only antivenine against one Australian snake. So if you were bitten by most Australian snakes, you're probably going to die. Um, and one of the reasons they had that this was the case was because they couldn't catch the snakes to milk them to make the antivenine because if you, know, you didn't want to get too close to these things that could kill you um, because there was no antivenine. So this young venom researcher called Kevin Budden decided that he wasn't going to get, let this beat him. He travelled to Cairns to try and catch a taipan, which was believed to be the most dangerous snake in the world, the most venomous snake in the world. Now, it turns out, actually, there are different species of taipans, and the one he caught was only the third most venomous snake in the world. Um, anyway, he spent quite a while searching for a taipan, couldn't find one, heard about a house where the people had evacuated because there was a taipan under, under it. So he went... Um, to the house, found the taipan eating on, uh, uh, feeding on a rat, put his boot on the neck of the, the taipan, grabbed it by the neck, picked it up, and then tried to stuff it into the sack that he brought. Um, problem was, it was a two-metre taipan, and he couldn't get it into the sack. So he started thinking, what am I going to do? I think I need help. So he starts walking to his friend's place, which was on the other side of Cairns. Now, Cairns wasn't 
a very big place in those days, not like it is now, but still, it was a long walk. So in the early morning light of Cairns, he's walking down the street a long way, holding a threshing two-metre taipan, <laughs> sticking out his other hand to hitchhike. <laughs> at, at which point, a truck rolls up, say, um, opens the door and says, where are you going? <laughs> he gets in, carry the taipan. The truck driver freaks out. <laughs> he goes, it's okay, mate, it's for science. <laughs> and because this was the 1950s and we didn't have, you know, science deniers running wild all over the place, the truck driver goes, okay, and drives him to his mate's place. <laughs> At his mate's place, he and his mate work out a plan to get the snake into the sack, which he manages to do, but tragically, in the course of it, his hand had got so tired from holding the snake for that long, he lost his grip briefly, the snake bit him. Um, he then, you know, his, um, the, the truck driver and his mate were, said, you know, got to get to your hospital. He said, I'm not going to hospital until you promise to get the snake to CSL so they can milk it to get the antivenine. So they promised, they got him to hospital, no antivenine there, of course, the medicines they had were not adequate, he died. But somehow they managed to convince Australia Post to deliver <laughs> a, a two metre coastal taipan in, in a sack. Um, to um, CSL, who, um, which was then the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, it's not, you know, the uh, privatised company that it is now. Um, now, the, the system they used, for, they, or I think still use for catching snakes, is that you have two bags, so they, you get the snake inside the one bag and then inside the other. Um, during the journey, the snake managed to work its way out of the inner bag. So when, at, the, at CSL, the guy who you know, receives this package, goes to open the outer bag, out comes a very pissed off two-metre taipan, uh, Ken's taipan. Fortunately, the researcher there managed to jump back and hold off the snake until help arrived, <laughs> and nobody died. And the snake was milked repeatedly for a year until the snake actually died. And it took them five years, but eventually they made antivenine out of it, which has saved a lot of lives. So it was a terrible tragedy, but out of it, something came, which I'm not sure one could say about Gallipoli, but I'll leave that for you to make up your own mind. <laughs>